You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. These words of Lady Julian of Norwich represent our resurrection hope that, through the wisdom and the mercy and the redemption of God, truly all will be well. All things, all manner of things be well. This is the message of our readings today, that God is at work in redemptive and restorative ways through all things. We can trust this message, all will be well. Julian of Norwich was a 14th century anchoress, which meant that she lived her days as an anchor in a small church cell on the side of the church she never left. This church had a, or the cell had a window facing one direction into the church so she could hear the services inside, and another window facing the street with a small opening so that she could minister to those who came by by offering counsel and prayer. And the rest of her life she spent in this cell in prayer and devotion to God. We don't even know her given name because she never sought to make a name for herself. She was named after the church in which she lived. She only sought to understand more deeply the suffering and the love of Christ and to extend that to others in writing and ministry. In her desire to identify with the passion of Christ, she actually prayed and appealed to God to suffer sickness unto death but not die. And God granted her this desire. As she was experiencing what seemed like certain death, Christ's love was revealed to her in powerful ways. During this revelation, she confronted Jesus with the question of sin and suffering and evil in the world. And the answer she was given are these familiar words. It was necessary that there should be sin, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Now these words are not a trivial like, oh honey, don't stress, all will be well. These words represent the powerful message of the risen Christ and a deep theological hope and understanding that in the economy of God, nothing is wasted, everything is used. Even our brokenness, even our failings, even the evil we experience. Julian's hopeful perspective was built on the knowledge that if God can use the worst ever evil in human history, the death of his son, for our redemption, how can he not also use all lesser evils? Surely this God has the power to work all things together for good for those who love him, as the apostle said, Paul said in the letter to the Romans. God's business is the restoration of all things through the power of Christ. This is our resurrection hope. Now we all have experiences in our life that cause us to ache for this restoration. Whether it's our past failures or maybe present patterns of sin or brokenness in relationships or hopes for our children or the loss of a job we loved or even just that feeling of emptiness on a Tuesday afternoon when we're not sure who we are or what our purpose is, we all long to be restored. Sometimes we feel this more acutely than others, but we all feel it if we're honest. Many of you know that our full and complicated family life includes two children by adoption who are now teenagers. When they were entrusted to us 10 years ago, they were three and nine and had suffered terribly. 
abuse, neglect, and death were already staples in their reality. When we brought that suffering into our family, the darkness and evil they had experienced infected us as well. But what we learned through a lot of brokenness and a lot of dark nights and a lot of failure was that God is present even in the darkest places. We are never alone, we are never abandoned. He has sent provision all along the way for us and for the care of our children. And this church body is a big part of that for us. As we've wrestled with the long-term and lingering effects of childhood trauma on their nervous system and in their psyche and in their spirit, we've been able to hold the real hope that somehow, someday, all this suffering that our girls have experienced will be redeemed. We may not get to see the fruits of that in our lifetime or even in theirs, but we are given glimpses of the beauty that will one day be revealed in them. And we continue to hope and pray for restoration. King David certainly felt this desire for restoration as he wrote his Psalms. The weight of his sin of adultery and murder caused him to feel anguish unto death deep in his bones. In the language of Psalm 30, he felt as if he was going to the grave, full of fear, wailing, as if his enemies had beat him down. Yet what does he say? I cried out to you, my God, and you restored me to health. That even his mourning and wailing were turned to dancing. What wonderfully redemptive hope that God can take even the wailing and mourning of these kinds of sins and turn them into dancing somehow. That is the beauty of God's heart for us. Can we trust that for ourselves as well? God longs to tell us all will be well. And then there's Saul, a murderous persecutor of the emerging church, who was literally felled by the light of heaven as Jesus called him to serve the church he was seeking to destroy. If God can use a man with such evil intent toward the church to basically establish Christian theology through his letters and ministry, even from jail, can he not also redeem the things we hold on to, the things that seem to us broken beyond repair? And now we come to the gospel, to Peter. Peter and a few other disciples had gone fishing, but they had had a rough night with no catch. Then a man appears on the beach and tells them to try again, throwing their nets onto the right side of the boat. And sure enough, it was so heavy with fish that they couldn't even pull it in. At this, John recognizes the man on the beach as Jesus and exclaims so. And when Peter hears this, he covers up himself with his coat to cover his shame, and he jumps into the water to get to him. Now, Peter is so bold and impulsive, and I love that about him. He doesn't wait. He doesn't think things through. He just runs to Jesus. And unlike previously when he jumped into a storm-raged sea to walk on water toward Jesus and sank with fear, this time he's close to shore. What a funny image. John says they're only 100 yards away from shore, and here he is putting on his clothes and jumping in the water and... I don't know if y'all have ever jumped in water too shallow, but it kind of is like thud and you're like, oh. But anyway, I just sort of picture him like floundering towards the shore, but he's so eager to get to Jesus. And Jesus is there intent on restoring Peter. Now remember, Peter is the one who had denied Jesus three times just a few days earlier when Jesus was headed toward his death. Imagine the guilt and the shame he must have been carrying because of that. 
Yet this does not cause him to hide, but to run to Jesus. And we see Jesus' heart for his people open wide as he asks Peter three times in almost a direct reversal of those three denials, do you love me? Wow. He gives Peter the opportunity three times to say yes, to affirm what he had previously denied, to restore him. Of course, as the disciples are often dense like us, Peter was kind of just annoyed and hurt. But nevertheless, Jesus was at work, revealing himself to him and giving him his vocation. Jesus tells him three times, if you love me, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, take care of my own. This is the call to those of us who have experienced restoration, who know the love of God deeply. We must care for others. So what does this look like? Caring for others means entering into the suffering of Christ. The gospel life is not a free pass into bliss, but rather an invitation into life through death, a life of abundance and love, but not one free of pain and sacrifice just yet. It means bearing our own wounds and the wounds of others with the knowledge that all our pain and suffering has already been carried by Christ on the cross and has already been redeemed through his resurrection. It means we can enter into the suffering of the world through the redemptive power of Jesus, knowing and trusting that it is his wisdom and his love that meets the needs of those around us, and all we can do is hold that hope and be channels of that grace. In the final words of today's gospel, Peter is told by Jesus he will stretch out his hands and be taken where he doesn't want to go, indicating that he will glorify God by his own death on the cross. And then Jesus says, follow me. Follow me into death and you will have life. Now this doesn't mean we all must experience death in that way in order to follow Christ. But it does mean that we all have to die to certain desires, to certain hopes, to certain wishes in order to have true life in Christ. It means we will all be wounded as we feed his sheep and minister to those who are hurting around us. When Ananias is told by Saul, but told by Jesus to look for Saul and restore not only his sight, but grant him his vocation, he says, I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Suffering is a part of our vocation as Christians, but again, we do not suffer without hope. We have great hope that all our suffering, all our pain, whether caused by our own mistakes or caused by the brokenness of others or even caused by systemic evil around us, all of that is used. Not anything is wasted in God's economy and that is truly good news. We can live in the great hope of the resurrection and a truth that from the greatest evil can come the greatest good and that can free us of all we hold onto and cling to and all that weighs us down. We can present all that to God for his transformation. As Lady Julian says, our wounds are our glory, for they are what Christ uses to restore love and grace in the world. And let's close with the great image of full restoration given to us in Revelation today. Yes, we know that the angels and the saints are in the presence of God singing, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We know God alone is worthy of such blessing that it's Jesus' death and resurrection that allow us to live in hope. But the next line in Revelations is that 
every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and in the sea and all that is in them will say, to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What a wonderfully inclusive picture of restoration that every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, all that is in them will say to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Surely there is room in there for us, whether we see ourselves as saints or not. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.